Hi, I'm Benjamin Herman, and this is Mastering Negotiations, a podcast series that will help you negotiate more effectively. Whether you're embarking on a major business deal or looking to get more for your money, you'll hear tons of practical tips that'll help you get the best deal. In this episode, we're focusing on negotiating for you, how to negotiate your way to success, from securing a pay rise to influencing people. With me in the studio are Joe Derriman, Sean James, and Tony Hughes, who collectively have over 50 years of negotiation experience behind them. So we were talking about negotiating for yourself. And I was like, we, we go around the world and we work with organizations and we work with businesses. And, and certainly when people find out that I'm a global negotiation skills trainer, usually because I've dropped that in because I think it makes me sound interesting. Um, they then expect that in the whole rest of my personal life, I'm, I'm, I'm striking amazing deals and I'm, uh, I'm never paying full price for anything. And one of the first things I'm craving to, um, to tell them more to sort of keep my ego high there is, um, most of these situations that we perceive as negotiations may not be. So Joe, what, what really makes something count as a negotiation f- in our terms? So effective negotiations is, you know, you're looking at two or more people wanting to get a mutual agreement. Mm-hmm. So if you are wanting to purchase something, whether it's small or big, personal or from business, and you are fully wanting to uh, buy that thing and have buy the product at the price it is with all of the terms, you're not really negotiating because you're happy. Everybody's is happy with the, the item. So you just, you just buy. If you go and think, well, I want to pay, um, a thousand pound for a car and the dealership wants me to pay 20,000 pound for the car. There's probably a really big price difference that you're never going to really come to some kind of agreement. Mm-hmm. So effective negotiation is where you're really wanting to have that overlap. Mm-hmm. So both parties have to make movements. You both have to make incremental steps towards that mutual agreement. Mm-hmm. And you're doing it where you can vary the terms so that you have flexibility in what you can talk about and what you can potentially trade. So I will give you this if you can do that. So that it's, it's a two-sided agreement. And finally, you, you really negotiate when there's a bit more of a scarce resource. So if something isn't in, um, it's not available by every person. Um, and you can't find it everywhere, then the chances are it means a lot and you really want to come to some kind of um, common ground. So kind of thinking about, is this something that is too far away or close together, but you're really looking to get that that overlap? So uh, we used in the intro, Tony, the example of uh, of a pay rise. So um, if someone was to come to you asking for, for one, is that a negotiation most of the time when you when you see it coming in. well if you take if you take the um criteria that mm-hmm. um that joe gave then it technically probably isn't you know in some cases it's a it's somebody asking for something it isn't necessarily mutually beneficial unless and there may be something tacit in this where people start to say oh you understand that if i don't get this pay rise then i'm going to leave mm. now whether or not that's said or not you've then got something that's tradable and negotiable if, mm. As long as, of course, you don't want them to leave. If you do want them to leave, then the answer is no. You're not going to pay rise. <laughs> but as long as, but as long as those things are in there. But quite often, when people come and ask for pay rises, they 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 are making a demand for something that they want, paying more for what they've previously done, as mm. opposed to 
saying, well, if I do this more or if I take on this responsibility, can I have a pay rise? So it can be a negotiation, but it isn't automatically a negotiation. I think that's where some people go wrong. And it's not necessarily even a persuasion because usually it's, can I have a pay rise? So there has to be something in it for for, for both sides that both people... For, for it to be a negotiation, yes. Okay. Yes. Not necessarily, that necess- doesn't necessarily mean that everybody looking for a pay rise is in a pay negotiation, which is why I think sometimes if you read about these things in magazines, then you assume it's a pay negotiation and quite often it isn't. It's, it's, it's more of a piece of persuasion that needs to needs to happen. Um, so some of the other things that we ask for sometimes are completely you know, different things. It's not always just one conversation. We're, we're talking about all the times that we might uh, uh, negotiate for ourselves. Uh, what kind of things do you think come up for people that they w- would like to be better at being able to do? The guiding principle really first is decide, are you persuading or negotiating? And again, our guidance is that um, you persuade first and then negotiate later if you have to. Um, so just listen to the, the conversation around asking for a, a pay rise. Uh, if I think of a different scenario, if I if I come to Tony and say, I want you to um, fund my MBA course that's going to cost £15,000 and I want two days a month study leave. Mm-hmm. Uh, by the way, Tony, would, would can we do that? <laughs> Carry on. <laughs> uh, you know, is, is that just a list of, of demands? And, uh, and as Tony said, is there value on both sides? So if I don't explain or at least try and build value uh, for what Tony gets from it, what the company gets from it, then um, that probably won't be a very successful persuasion. Um, if he's interested in that if i've managed to persuade him because he sees value in it then we may get round to negotiating uh, how that how that gets applied yeah that's true i think i think it comes back to the principle of negotiation there has to be enough issues to negotiate with if it's a single mm. issue it's not a negotiation so so if we took that scenario sean's view would be i can bring these things to the organization once i've done an mba my view might be, well, well, okay, let's have a look at what's included in that MBA and see whether it's valuable for the business. And then there'll be a fallback in there somewhere that would say, well, okay, we will do that. But if you leave the business within three years, you've got to pay the 15 grand back because <clears throat> that then puts some risk on both sides. And that's quite usual in a, in a negotiation. Yeah. And, and I think if I, if I approach you and we're just negotiating around single issues, then we probably get to deadlock quite quickly. Yeah, yeah. I mean, that's the most important thing. You've, you've got to have enough issues to negotiate and recognize that each of those issues will have a different value to each side of the negotiation. Mm. Um, so so uh, you know, what, what, what value um, Sean would get out of it is going to be different value to what the business is going to get out of it. But you have to recognize that. And that's, that's the same with everything. It's the same with... It's the same when we look at persuasion. Sean mentioned the difference between, or you ought to persuade first and then negotiate. But, but there is a persuasion going on in, in all the aspects of a negotiation as well, because we're saying that if we say persuasion is about building value for something, value will be different in the eyes of the beholder, not necessarily in the person, in the eyes of the person that's, that's, that's trying to persuade. Let me give an example. Um, we we are taught in Western society, in schools usually, 
to persuade people with a weight of argument by putting forward as many different reasons as we can why something will be important to the other side. Mm. The danger of that is if one of those things is not important, then the argument can fall apart. Right? Let me, I'll give you a quick example, a, a very exa- um, short example. I like using examples of children because they're some of the best negotiators in the world. Oh, yeah. When I, when I was um, – when I, my daughter was five years old and we were going away, in the back of a car she wanted to put her push bike and I said no and she said why and I said because we're going away to a holiday cottage and your friends will be there we want you to play with them they haven't got a push bike she says well I want to take it well you can't take it why because I think it's going to rain and you won't be able to go outside well I want to take it well you can't take it well just because I say you can't take it okay but I still want to take it well why can't you take it because we can't get it in the car so I walked into the house. When I came back, she'd crammed the push bike in the back of the car. Guess what? Because it went. Mm. Because because basically there's one piece of that argument that fell apart. When I, As soon as I said that you won't go in the car, she proved it can, everything else fell apart. So, so that diluting your argument is something that we're taught mm. to do when we're taught <clears throat> to persuade people, in certainly in Western society. So we're not taught to trade very much. We're taught to... Uh, we're taught to just try to force our uh, position onto somebody. So if we if we want to be able to trade, and then there's these different perceptions of of value on each side. That sounds like the, there's a certain piece of work to be done, uh, just like there is in, in in a corporate negotiation on thinking on what are all the issues that are going to be on the table for me or for the other person. Mm. Um, and those issues don't have equal importance. So uh, do, does that do you think that in personal negotiations we put the same importance and, and use of levers as we would in a business scenario? Well, we may not give enough time in preparing for that. Mm. And I think, again, if we go back to this example of what is a fairly straightforward request to, to fund an MBA, that even within that there are negotiable issues. As Tony mentioned, it could be that what we one thing we do negotiate if we – uh, see mutual benefit in in doing that in the first place is that if you do leave within a certain time after completing it, then you pay back a certain amount of the the fee. Uh, we can negotiate about the amount of days that I'm allowed to have off for study time. You know, we can even negotiate about the the amount of funds that I pay up front. If it's fifteen thousand pound, I might decide that that's my that's my best. That's what I want the company to pay for. But I'm willing to have some skin in the game. And I, I'm willing to fund some of that myself. That becomes a negotiable issue as well. And, it, and it's thinking about uh, you know, where, where those trades are before you go into that, that discussion. And as Tony mentioned, it's not overloading with reason after reason after reason because that uh, is uh, it's a trap. What's fascinating is the number of our clients that come to us who are interested in negotiation and, and what makes good negotiators is they'll say, well, when we negotiate, we don't, we can't really negotiate on many things because it's just price. And actually taking people through, okay, take price separately, the cost of a unit or a cost of, of, of one item, take that aside. 
what else can you negotiate on? And then when you start actually thinking about delivery costs and payment terms and branding and tangible and intangible items, all of a sudden, when they think I can only negotiate on one thing, all of a sudden you've got five or six or 10 negotiable issues that is either of value to us or value to the other party. And therefore, you've got a better chance to trade something rather than Tony just saying no. Or conceding, okay, I'll, I'll try again next year. You've actually got sort of other things that you can leverage. And do you think that that, so when, when it is our job, when it's our work and we are preparing for it, we're going to put the planning and prep time in because there might be millions at, at stake, even if we were just talking about price. When it's for us, I, I wonder if, you know, the people I meet and, and talk to, we don't do it the same way for us. We're, our, our, the, the maximum amount of prep we do for something that I want to negotiate personally barely even makes it to paper. It's probably just, just the, the forethought that goes in between the, the, the entrance and, and the, the desk of, uh, of the dealership. I think, or, I think you're right, Benjamin. I mean, take, take the example of, of what most people, most expensive item that anybody buys is usually a house. Mm. Um, and, and within a house, they might actually decide some of the things they want, right? But I don't really think they ever go uh, deciding how they're going to negotiate the price on that house. They, they go often with a view that um, all I've got to do, I've got this mortgage, this is what I can pay, this is all I've got, that's a single issue. And often people wouldn't think about, well, how am I going to bring the price down on that house? What is, and, and in fact, is it a negotiation? Because if there's a lot of people queuing up to buy that house, the chances are it's just a straightforward, well, who's mm. going to give me the most money? So, so but, even, but people don't do the preparation, and you actually mentioned two words there, preparation and planning. They don't do that preparation and planning before. And I think it's quite important that we understand the difference between the two words. Preparation is about collecting facts and figures, and planning is about how you are going to use those facts and figures. And in all the research that, that Huthwaite did, what it found was that the amount of time that was spent on preparation and planning between average negotiators and skilled negotiators was the same. The difference was that skilled people spent more time thinking about how they were going to use the numbers, not what were the numbers. So it's quite an important um, difference between the two. And I, th- I th- see that's really interesting in itself because I, th- I think that we don't necessarily, and stop me if, if I'm wrong, we, we don't start to perceive where the other party is coming from and, and, and how we will use the details that we've got. So when we bought our place, we, uh, we, our house, we were very sort of specific in, in that we didn't have much flexibility on the, the overall price, but we could go for it right away. Yes. And, uh, and we, we hunted for, for, for specifically things that were all like student places because their, a ruling had very recently changed when we bought ours and in, in, in the city we were in, they were building a whole heap of new student accommodation. So everyone was getting out of being an ex-student landlord. So almost the market set up the conditions to let us have more power in that situation. Um, so sometimes just looking at what, what the market is doing can help you. Okay. And, and so can, what you did was recognize how much power you'd got. And that's, that's extremely important. Mm. If you, you know, if you, if you, if you take a sale and buying relationship, if you talk to sellers about who's most powerful, they'll say the buyer is. Interestingly, if when we talk to, to buyers or people in procurement, they'll tell us they think the, the seller's got more power because they have to buy a solution. So, so it's very important to, to kind of work out what the power is, but also how you are going to use it. Have you got enough power to force things through or does it have to be, 
a much more mutually acceptable um, conversation, really. So, Joe, Tony brought in this idea of planning and, and, and prep, and we're talking about how it's for personal situations. We might not always have the same time that we'd apply to it at work. What would be the number one things that you would involve in, in your planning and prep before uh, any kind of negotiation you were having, be it, be it at home or at work or anything for you? I would start to think about what I what I want, but also not make it too fixed. If I say I want, if you're buying a, a car or a house or something of value, or even I'm thinking of, of a new television, um, how much how much is the product that it, it you know that you're prepared prepared to spend, and where are my limits? How far can I go up or how far can I go down? And start to play around with that. So think about other things that would impact on that, whether it be delivery or um, if you're buying a house, like you were just saying, are the other things that have a monetary value that it isn't necessarily, you know, like um, surveys or um, stamp duty? What are the other elements that have a price that can be taken elsewhere or be, you know, depending on who you're buying from? So really thinking about where are all the costs going to be and, and kind of planning for how you can potentially get uh, an agreement within those those two limits, so your higher and lower limit. But I think every, using some kind of tool or some writing it down, being able to plan ahead of time, or rather, if, if we, as Tony correctly said, prepare for how you want that negotiation to think before you go into it. But also thinking of the other, th- what will the other party want? Because that way, you won't have as many surprises. You've you've given it due course to think. How far can I take what I want, but where are they willing to be? So again, we've got that agreement that both parties will want. So this level of, of what, what both parties want, and you talked when you spoke about it earlier, that it's about mutual agreement. It's about common ground. It's about working towards something that, that you know, feels like it's a, it, there's been movement on both sides. So when I'm teaching people about this for what there's almost every time well, no, there is every single time someone who makes some kind of joke or comment about using this at home with with family, with yeah. partners. And there's almost an undercurrent of disbelief of like, I guess my question is, is preparing and planning and thinking through the issues to the level that we do, is that appropriate with, with, with partners, with family at home? I, I think there's, um, there's certainly some, again, guiding principles you can apply to any situation where persuasion is is required if we talk about persuasion in isolation from negotiation um you first of all is thinking as tony mentioned is what's the power situation here have i got it or does the other party have it so that's the first thing to consider because that will influence uh, the type of behaviors that will will work you know uh, negotiating with it or persuading a a child to get dressed for school in the morning is a very different persuasion from asking a key decision maker to make a massive business decision I should hope so. I, I, well, it's still often I, 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 I wouldn't try the same approach. No, but you still often hear people making what we'd call a conditional to proposal. So if mm. you know if if you all do this, then then you can have that. Yeah, uh, that's that's a classic with children, yeah. and children are extremely good at using it the other way around. So we've mentioned a few times about um, levers. Um, levers, as in something that you'd use in physics, as opposed to leaving a room. Mm-hmm. Um, so we mentioned a few times about that. And if you think about kids, and, a, and for us, a, a lever is when is something that you're prepared to give 
in order to get more back for it. And there's a mm. classic one of that, which is the children who are crying or screaming, and they stop screaming as soon as you give them something and what they want. Mm. So mm. if you think about that, the child, the child screaming is quite prepared to scream and scream and scream and scream. Makes no difference to them. But if they give up, they'll get what they want. So they're quite prepared to be silent. In other words, give you silence because it's easy for them to get back their ice cream or their whatever else it is. So it's something that's been prepared to give um, in order to get something which might be worth more value. So whilst it's a very simple example, it, that can be applied into everything from kids getting ice creams through to multinational negotiations. And, and it's quite important in those negotiations that the other side doesn't necessarily know how little the other party values that particular issue. And that, and in that way, you can get more and more back for things. So the other thing, the other thing that you are prepared to give is something that actually might cost you nothing to give. Yeah, absolutely. If you if you think about maybe somebody selling water outside the um, Colosseum in Rome in the middle of August, <clears throat> if they if they put onto their um, stall only four bottles of water and they've got three hundred in the fridge underneath, but they don't show those three hundred, they're quite happy to let you have that bottle of water. And because you're thirsty, you're probably going to pay a lot more money for it. And as soon as you've gone, they can go and get another bottle of water out and put it on and make sure that looks like it's a scarce thing as well. But actually, they're just quite happy for you to have it. So that's interesting because that's about controlling the conditions around it. And again, it's, it's, a, it's a business example. But when, when this is for ourselves, can we, Joe, control those situations around what we want if uh, at work and things? I'm thinking about – I was hearing your MBA example and I'm, I uh, – I find ways to wangle my way onto the projects at work that take my fancy, things like podcast hosting and things like that. So that's been a steady process of partly dropping hints that I'm willing, but partly dropping hints that I might have a chance of being competent um, and that might, might, might suit the business. Can, can we engineer scenarios like that or do we risk looking devious and underhand and I suppose Machiavellian? <laughs> wow. Um, I suppose it does depend on the intention. If you're persistent with it and you're, you know, asking the same person the same time for the same thing, then I wouldn't necessarily recommend that. But I wouldn't see it as a negotiation. I think it's just the right time, right place for yourself in, in your example. I do think that whether it's personal or in business, the more knowledge we can think of about what it is that we want to get from that. And one of the things that we actually have, you know, you don't necessarily see it as a negotiation, but it comes up a lot in, in everyday work environments is working on projects. You know, mm. oh, Benjamin, can you can you come and join me on this project? I, I really need your help and I support. I need you to come to me. Well, if we leave it at that, that's not negotiation. That's me persuading you to join my team. If you were to retaliate mm. and come back and say, well, Joe, I would love to. I think it's a great example, but what I would need is some support on my other things so that I can free myself up or I need extended deadlines, etc. What you're then saying, even informally, is I need to trade. If I can give you what you're looking for, but I need something back in return. And recognizing that in those circumstances, you're just not always conceding. You're not always giving too much of yourself. Especially in a period of mindfulness and people being well-being and stuff, I think we we sometimes do go, yes, okay, I'll help, and not really think, well, what's that going to do for me? So even just thinking, well, okay, I'd love to help, I'd love to be part of the team, but for me to do that, I'll need X. And you can decide what that is, 
And you can even give yourself time outside of it to think about what that alternative trade might be. But know that there's always an opportunity to trade something. As we've said a few times that we want to be trading, not conceding. And in, in, in business, that's about us um, uh, making sure that we're holding our own value and showing that we use the phrase sometimes uh, nothing uh, – Tell me the phrase that something given away for free has not, has, has little, little value. value. Yeah. Um, so, so we would say that. So I guess if we're saying that about our, ourselves, we're communicating that actually our, our time, our energy, our Absolutely. worth ha, ha, has some value in the, in the situation. Yeah. Um, and it could be that the other party goes, oh, really? I'm sorry. I didn't realize that that was, you know, that was a situation we'll go back or it can be yeah, absolutely. We'll give you more resource or we'll put somebody else on a different project to free you up. Um, but it's just knowing what is tradable and what, you know, what should you walk away from or say no to. So that's, that's excellent. Do we have one last thing then from each of us when we are negotiating for ourselves that we should be bearing in mind? Sean? Um, I I think one of the, uh, the, the key principles that I apply both in work and outside of work when certainly trying to persuade is, is not to focus heavily on me creating and building in my own mind a very logical argument because that is my logic. And, you know, I've spent, as a friend of mine who um, refused for years to come camping with us, we have a group of friends and he um, uh, refused to join in. And it was a constant uh, source of frustration for most of us because we wanted him to join in and be be with the, the group. And I used to um, apply that thinking around logical arguments. Uh, so I'd say things like, um, well, in the evening we can sit around the fire and we'll drink red wine. And his response was, well, I can drink red wine at home. Or I drink beer. <laughs> I drink beer at home. <laughs> so whatever logical <laughs> argument I had to try and persuade him to come camping with us, he had a a retort, a, a logical response to that. Uh, and, you know, in time we, we relied on pure manipulation. <laughs> we, we, we asked his daughter to, to, to scream and scream and scream until he gave in. You know? So another decision maker. <laughs> yeah. yeah, but I guess what the principle is, 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 is when you're trying to persuade them, whether that's uh, – in the act of persuasion or during a negotiation is not to rely on your logical reasoning uh, because you may fall into the trap of diluting your argument, as Tony mentioned earlier, or just come up against a brick wall because they have a different logic and they see things differently. So Sean says don't rely on logic. What do you say, Joe? Uh, I agree. But also another sort of takeaway from me would be Keep all of the issues, all of the items in the air. Don't agree on something as a final thing and then move on to another topic because that really limits where you can take that conversation. So keep everything almost hypothetical. You know, if you do this, we could do that. But keep all of those items up so that when you actually get to the near the end of the the negotiation, whether it's personal or business, you can then make sure that everybody's agreeing to the same things and you still give yourself that flexibility to vary items depending on how that conversation goes. So, you know, keep all the balls up in the air, I'd probably say, is my takeaway. And Tony? Joe's just said what I was going to say. Oh. Okay. So I'll just Sorry. say, no, <laughs> absolutely, it's absolutely fine, and say something else. And, and, it, and it, for me, it's, it is the most important thing, which is, Always keep referring back to your plan 
even if that plan's only in your head. So mm. I'm not suggesting that every time you get into a conversation and <laughs> negotiation, you have to go away and write something down. But if you have realized it's a negotiation and you have got an objective in mind, but as, as Joe said earlier, you might want to be flexible with that objective, um, just make sure that you're not being pushed in one direction and just because there's a, a, a role going on that you end up agreeing to things. So just keep referring back. And if you need to, just spend a bit, little bit more time and go away and think about it. It's, and you can do that in most um, individual circumstances. You're buying a car, buying a house, whatever it is. You've got time to just step back a bit. Just go away and think about it. Don't get caught up with the, um, well, we've agreed this, we've agreed that, which you will see people using in dirty tricks. Mm. Yeah, There are classics in, in dirty tricks and negotiation around the, they almost kind of, well, we've agreed this, we've agreed that, that's okay, that's fine. So therefore, there's no reason why we can't do a deal then. And, and there is, and that may be that it, they haven't met one of your major criteria and you want to go away and think about it. I think when you when you said about having at least your objective in, in your head, the way we ask people to form objectives on the programme, uh, where we, we say, you say what it is you, you want and what that's going to let you do. Uh, I want this, I want this so that I can do this. I found that personally, if I've got in my head exactly what I want and what I want it for, when people are coming in with those uh additional asks and, and, and that little bit of pressure, I can relatively quickly evaluate, well, yeah, it does give me this, but that it will leave me in a position where I can no longer do yeah, the thing I was doing it for yeah. so I can on in the moment or, 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 or really quickly assess whether this is a good deal. Absolutely. Absolutely. Thanks for listening. This podcast was brought to you by Huthwaite International. For more information, visit Horizons, Huthwaite's thought leadership platform where you can find a whole host of tips and advice to help you master the art of negotiating. Huthwaiteinternational.com forward slash horizons. <laughs>